feel like the world is all, we're all playing a game show where we don't know the rules. That's literally what it feels like every time I turn on the TV or my look at my phone. It's like, remember Whose Line Is It Anyway? Where it was like, you know, everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like that's where, what I feel like we're at. I had somebody at work um, say that to me about some of the, some things that were going on. And I was just like, that, y- yes, that's how it feels right now at work as well. But because things change every day. But it also feels like life. So that's where we're at. Just, we're, we're all part of a game show that we don't know the rules and we're hoping that we get some sort of grand prize. And at this point, a grand prize is like a handshake, right? Or getting to go to TJ Maxx or Home Goods without a mask on. Oh my goodness. Remember places? Like, I just want to go to a place. And I, again, like, oh god, it's not, you know, I don't want to sound so privileged, but like, I just want to enjoy a meal that I did not make and did not have to clean up after. That's all I want. And hopefully we get that soon. Um, alright, well, let's just get on, get on with it. Um, it's been about two weeks, which is looking like the new normal. Um, you know, things are as crazy as they've always been, and hopefully we're looking at uh, a light at the end of the tunnel or something. I mean, I think some people already are at that light. They're like, yeah, this just doesn't exist anymore because it's above 70 degrees outside, which, like, I totally understand. Like, you're restless, and you're done with it, and you just want to hang out with your friends, and some of you, and me included, like, we're finding ways to do it that works. I just ask that everybody's just, like, so careful and, like, such a mom in that capacity. And I'm like, did everybody wash their hands? Yeah, as we all, you know, decontaminate before we came inside. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, Kelly and Sarah, um, and Sarah's fiance, Augie, had come over, um, to sit in the driveway, you know, six feet apart in beach chairs, and we, we chatted for, like, an hour, and that was it. And, you know, you, you take what you can get, and I was so grateful and happy to, to see them. It, it's been months. But, and I miss my friends, and, I, you know, I miss my friends that I'm not seeing as well. But it's like, it was almost, it was almost like a tease. Like, it's not fair. Like, if I'm, if I'm gonna, if we're gonna do this, I want to be able to hug you. I want to be able to, to do, to, to hang out with you the way in which that we've always hung out. And I think that was, that was hard. You know, it was nice seeing everybody, but then, like, you know, you... You go back into your house and you're like, well, all right then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, some good news. We got, um, Frank and I got our wedding video back, which was super long awaited. It did take a really long time. People who are getting married at some point, whether it's next year or at any point, please understand that it takes a really long time. Um, and it was worth the wait. It was so awesome to relive all that stuff and see um, people dancing and having a great time. And, you know, our videographer did something really cool. Um, our our full wedding video, I did put up um, on my personal Instagram, like, the four-minute, like, highlight clip. Um, but our full video, which is over an hour, um, of edited footage, and then we're going to receive, you know, all the unedited stuff, which is going to be fun. But... Um, our videographer did a, like, a documentary, kind of, um, so he interviewed, like, 
most of the people that were in the wedding party or family or friends and like pieced it together of like telling a story and, and you know some of the things that were said about either Frank or me or us together as a couple just we we're very lucky to have uh you know amazing people in our life that say really nice things about us when asked on camera so I mean what are you gonna say like yeah they're all right they're mediocre at best <laughs> but yeah I I definitely feel lucky to have the people in my life that I do yeah um but yeah that was fun we watched the four minute clip like a hundred times um I watch I've watched the full video like three or four times I you know it just makes me happy and, and right now yeah it sounds a little crazy but it, you know it's things that are making me happy um speaking of happy I have been begging like steadily begging Frank for a dog um definitely during this time but like honestly for years I think I'm super close to cracking him I think I'm really close I'm showing him the cutest dogs. I'm showing him, you know, I'm, I'm just, like, thinking about, like, I'm like, thinking out loud, like, scenarios. Of like, oh, well, what if the dog this and what if that? And I, I think I'm close. Now, he's probably going to listen to this and be like, mm, yeah, okay, all right, keep dreaming, sister. Um, but, I don't know, we'll see. To be continued. Um, anyway... Uh, a couple of things that I want to talk about before we dive on in. Um, so, really funny. This is just how the world is so small. Um, I was talking to my brother about something not too long ago. And we were talking about um, our... We both had the same math teacher in seventh grade, Miss um, Chin. And she's awesome. And, I mean, I'm absolutely terrible at math. This is not a fault to her. Um, I came that way. She tried. She tried her darndest, but we got to know our strengths and weaknesses. And I really think that I, I needed to be bad at math. God was like, we're going to give you, you know, certain things that are going to, you know, help you in life. We cannot give you math because then you could take over the world and nobody wants that. No, I'm kidding. But, yeah, no, math, not my thing. However, Miss Chin is and was, you know, whatever, amazing teacher and we were talking about her for whatever reason, and um, she popped up on my Facebook. So I saw that we had mutual friends, and some of them were former students as well, so I threw her a friend request, and we started talking and chatting, and, you know, I have this such, I have such a clear memory of her um, when I was in seventh grade, and it was, we were in, I was in my, like, music class or whatever, and she had come in, and she sang, she's a phenomenal singer, which I did not know until that day in, in my music class, she came in, we were doing karaoke, and she came and she sang uh, a Madonna song, La Isla Bonita, which I had never heard that song up until, I had never heard it before until that day, and to this day, it's one of my favorite, you know, Madonna songs, and, you know, I can't listen to that song without thinking of that day. So, I mean, obviously, I, I never told her that because I hadn't talked to her since I was 14 um, or 13. But anyway, so we were kind of chatting on, on Facebook, and, you know, she had said to me that she's really, she's still teaching, but she's really trying to further her music career. And I, I was like, well, then I have to tell you this story about, 
you know, that song. And I said, you know, no disrespect to you because you are an amazing teacher, but I can't remember anything about seventh grade math class. I'm so sorry. I can't remember anything mathematical, but I will never forget you singing that song. And it's so true. And, and, you know, music has this amazing way of connecting us when we don't even realize it. Um, like a, a song takes you right back to a moment, right back to a memory. And that's absolutely the song. So I was telling her this and I think, you know, she, she said something very sweet of like, that's how I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And so anyway, so we, you know, we, we were chatting a little bit and it turns out that she has, um, she does this thing every Wednesday. I hope it's Wednesday. I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday. Um, she does a live, like a Facebook live and then an Instagram live and she just sings and, you know, Frank and I will like put it on and, you know, we're, we're doing our thing and, you know, we're listening to her and she's so good. She's so, so talented. Um, and she has a, um, a YouTube page. Um, she joked about it and I thought this was like so, so funny. She, um, she was like, if you look up on, if you look up my name on YouTube, you know, Stephanie Chin, it's going to be the first one that pops up because, you know, there's not a lot of Stephanie Chins that are in the music industry. Like they're doctors, they're lawyers, like just making, you know, just, she was, it was funny. And she said, you know, you'll find me. So I do encourage you guys go on her YouTube page, go follow her on Instagram or whatever she's comfortable with. Especially if you went to middle school in Old Bridge and you know who Miss Chin is. I don't think I could ever call her Stephanie Chin. That's her name, Stephanie Chin on YouTube. I don't think if you type in Miss Chin, it'll come up. Um, Stephanie Chin on, on YouTube. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to call her that, but so talented. She does amazing covers of songs and she has really beautiful, um, original songs as well. And, um, I think it would mean the world to her if you guys subscribe to, to her channel. And I mean, I'm totally like a fan, uh, you know, she was a phenomenal teacher, but you know, now I, I see her in a totally different light and it's, it's, it's great. Um, also just one thing, uh, one other thing that I want to talk to you guys about my friend Tori, who I've known since we were in college or we college roommates and, you know, she's a great friend, a uh, wonderful person. She has a business, um, that is like event planning, but she, it's called plan and simple it's on Instagram plan and simple. Um, and she's now creating tie dye masks, um, which are so cute. So, so, so cute. Um, she is making masks for, um, obviously because we need them now. Um, I highly recommend using her uh, company for that. She's also making like tie-dye t-shirts and matching sets and she has all of these amazing products but also guys when life opens up again and we're having parties and we are enjoying ourselves go look at the way in which that she handles events because she creates such beautiful decorations and things like that and I think that um it's definitely worth looking into so those are the two things that I definitely wanted to make sure that I talked about uh before we got started um if you want me to talk about anything that is going to put a spotlight on you for a quick minute. I am so happy to do that. Just let me know. Um, so anyway, I have been wanting to talk about um, this this idea of, you know, men and women. I think, you know, because I am a woman, um, it's probably going to seem a little bit more feminine, but 
everything that I'm going to be talking about is both men men and women both deal with body image or or insecurities within themselves I can only identify and personalize my own experience um, but I did make sure that I I spoke to you know everybody about uh, what we're going to talk about today so I've been wanting to talk about this idea of people being already good I've had this this like thing running in my head for so long of like Instead of thinking about ourselves as not being enough of this or too much of that, like a recipe almost, like, why can't we just be already good the way, the way that we are? Um, so, but, you know, before I just jumped into this, I wanted to make sure that I did this in a respectful way. And I think that there was a lot of fear or, or you know, reservations or apprehension about doing it because I didn't want it to be disingenuous and I did not want to come on here and talk about body image and have anybody say to me like how dare you right like you like there's such a um this like limiting belief of like you you can't talk about the certain things if you don't adhere to a certain criteria and I think that's a very dangerous place to be so I wanted to make sure that I approached this in a way that was like, I can only talk about the way that I feel in my own skin, but knowing that other people have different experiences that also deserve recognition, if that makes sense. So I've been listening to this absolutely amazing audiobook. Um, it's from, by Jen Hatmaker, and it's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And that title is it's perfect. It's the epitome of what this book is. It has lit a fire in me. It is absolutely amazing, and, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, and in the book, she discusses the idea of, of women's um, image and then body image. So obviously the way that we look at ourselves physically, but also the way that we feel about ourselves emotionally. And this really all started kind of coming into fruition when I watched my wedding video because I would be lying to you if I was looking at it and just seeing the beauty in that day. I can't sit here and say to you that that's what happened. The first time I saw, you know, myself on my TV, because of course we had to like set up the HDMI cord and, you know, put it on the TV and make it humongous, it was, you know, now, don't get me wrong, that's the best I'm ever going to look. That is it. I said that to Frank, we were looking at, I don't remember, we were looking at the video, I think, and I was like, listen, that's it. So, enjoy. Um, but, there were moments, now, I, I loved my dress, I loved my hair, I loved my makeup, I loved how happy I was that day. But I was like, ugh, those arms are, ugh, you know, whatever. And then, you know, when I'm laughing, you know, I get that little, that little thing, a little double chin happening. And then I was so critical about the silliest thing. When I laugh, I'm a, I laugh, hopefully I continue to always laugh the way that I do. I love to laugh and I love to make people laugh. 
But I'm not like a cute, like hee 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 laugher. Laugher. Is laugher a word? I don't laugh that way. Whatever. It's like 10.30 at night. I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, I don't laugh elegantly. I'm like full on mouth open, like just various noises. And I laugh so much at my wedding because I was so happy. I was having the best time. I was enjoying every minute of it and it showed. But every time the camera caught me laughing, I cringed when I watched it because I was like, oh my God, somebody tell that girl to just shut her mouth. Like laugh less, like laugh, continue to have fun, but like, just like close your mouth a couple of inches. And I said it, I must have said it so much, because finally Frank was like, can you stop? Like, you were having fun. Stop making it into this thing that's going to make you crazy. So, I, it started, that idea really started to resonate with me, because I was like, oh my god, this is the best day, that was the best day of my life, and I'm like sitting there, like, picking apart everything. So, you know, I, I've, I've talked openly about always feeling like, I'm too much and always trying to, to stifle myself and say, you know, when you go into that meeting, don't talk so much. Or when you go hang out with your friends, let that person talk more or, you know, don't make it about you. And if someone tells you something, don't, you know, I do, I I have a tendency of doing that thing where if someone's like, oh, you know, I ha- I'm so tired today, I had to do X, Y, and Z, instead of just being like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm sure you are, I'm like, oh, I'm tired too. Like, it's not about me. So I- I'm always having that, like, narrative on loop. Um, and I-, I was, you know, listening to Jen Hatmaker's book, and I'm having this, like, internal struggle, and then I was like, you know what, enough is enough. And I did post kind of, like, a rant on my uh, In Short Supply Instagram page, but I was just like, enough is enough. Like, this is exhausting. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep feeling this anxiety every time I, I stop a conversation with someone. I can't walk away and go, oh, no, did I talk too much? I can't leave a meeting and sign off and, and walk down the street or walk into my kitchen or, or, do, or take two steps in another direction and go, oh, should I have made that joke? Should I have said that? Should I have just like, been the person in the meeting who never says anything, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't keep doing this. If this is what the next, like, 50, 60 years looks like, I am going to make myself insane, more insane than I already am. It's not sustainable, and I can't do it anymore. So I think that that was kind of, like, the straw that broke the camel's back, where I was just like, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't want to be a different person on the outside than I am on the inside. Like, these two people have to be the same person. It just has to be one person who is unapologetically you, and that's it. Fine, that all sounds great, but it's easier said than done. So I've been trying to really unpack all of this in real time. I've, I've been trying to think about who I am and understand that she's already good. She's already good. So one thing that, you know, 
that really resonated with me with Gen Hat Maker's book is this idea of women feeling the need to fit themselves into certain rooms. So what that means is if you are a, or if you're an outgoing, you know, boisterous, you know, life of the party, fun, you know, kind of like me, where it's just like, I've been told that I'm too much, right? You feel the need to walk into a room and make yourself smaller, right? That room is, that room, the people in that room want you to be small. So you shrink yourself to, to fit into that room. On the flip side, let's say that you're timid or you're shy or you're reserved or it takes you a little while to um, warm up to people. You walk into a room and feel like you need to make yourself bigger. You need to rise to the occasion. You need to put on this show so that you make other people comfortable because, you know, being shy or reserved, you know, could make someone uncomfortable. And there's this idea of, like, how about we fit into the rooms that we need to be in? If you are a big personality, you don't make yourself smaller. You find a bigger room that fits you. You need all that space. You need to take up a room with your energy. And if you are somebody who wants to be smaller in the sense of, shy or reserved or find the way you are in this little ball in the corner you find yourself a small room and if other people can't fit into it they don't come into that room because that's your room and this idea was like oh my god it totally lit me on fire because we shouldn't be forcing ourselves bigger or smaller we're already good And it was such a great, you know, idea, and it made me lead into, if we can, if we can be okay with that, that I'm not going to make myself smaller, and I'm not going to make myself bigger, I'm going to find rooms that fit me, and I'm going to not, you know, shapeshift into anything else. If you can, if you can come to terms with that, I think there's also some space for finding yourself to be already good in your body. And I think that's going to take a lot more work, but I really wanted to understand the idea of why that is more work. If I can give myself that pep talk in two seconds after a meeting and say, listen, I'm done. I can't keep being two different people. Okay, fine. Why was that an easy an easier thing to to reconcile. Why is it that I can't do that when I look in the mirror some days? Where I can't, you know, I put on a certain outfit and immediately I'm like, no, I can't wear that. Why is it that we can't be already good in our bodies? And I think a lot of that stems from um, everything being a competition. Everything being a competition. Now, that could be a, you comparing yourself to somebody in your own life or somebody you see on the street or a celebrity, right? That comparison has led you. That's been like the guiding light throughout, you know, your your teenage years and then into adulthood. There's always this comparison of, of bodies and even ideas too, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, you 
are constantly, or at least me personally, I'm constantly comparing myself to other people of, of, you know, are, am I, are, they're smarter than me, or they are more capable, or they deserve this more than I do. I have, I think, you know, imposter syndrome is a real thing, especially in the workforce, in, in the workplace of like, feeling like you aren't good enough to be in the position that you are and other people are going to find out eventually that you're not cut out for this. I've dealt with that, oh my God, since I started teaching probably. And it's this comparison of seeing other people do the thing that you also do, forgetting the years invested, right? Like, of course you're not going to be the best teacher ever your first year or, or even in your first couple of years. You can't look at someone who's been doing it for 15 years and, and say, why, why do they have it all together? Nobody does. Nobody does. There's just different ways to go about surviving, right? Um, so it made me start thinking about this comparison and, and how, at least for me personally, I feel like I look at other people almost like a checklist. And and that's not good, right? Like, I've been comparing myself, my physical self, uh, you know, my, my, my capabilities and my internal stuff as well, but like really physical. I've been comparing my physical self to other people for as long as I can remember. And it's, it's like we're not able to admire someone's beauty or someone's physical body or anything without questioning our own in the same breath. Everything is a competition. And we're so used to, at least me, I'm so used to looking at someone as a checklist. Like, they have beautiful arms, but I have maybe a better smile. Or their eyes are gorgeous, but my hair is it. And it's almost this, like, tit-for-tat, you know, putting a puzzle together of, like, the perfect person, right? And it's, it's sick. It is sick. And I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. I, I grew up, you know, very small, very, very small. And that made me compare myself to other kids my age of like, oh, well, I can't do that because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have this one memory, which is, I was just telling Frank about it. We were talking about, you know, our childhood and things like that. And I said, I never used to play kickball during recess. Never. I did it one time and I would never do it again. And it's because I was so small that I didn't think that I would be able to do it or be good at it. I always gave myself this barrier because I didn't think that my body was good enough to, to play games as a kid. Like, it's such a wild concept. But I think... Going into that, as as a woman, I've I felt like I've had to always almost like justify or downplay myself, whether that's my my physical strength or my my emotional growth or my professional success or whatever it is, because everything is a competition. So going back, like, I always thought I knew what strength was, like, what it meant to be strong, but I never allowed myself 
to call myself strong, ever. Now, I grew up as an athletic kid in the sense of I was a competitive cheerleader for almost 15 years. Now, back then, cheerleading is not um, accepted like it is right now. Like, that was very much like, oh, it's not a sport, and all you do is, you know, rah, rah, rah on the football field and blah, blah, blah. When in reality, you ha- you needed to have strength to do the things that, that were asked of you. Um, and, you know, not to sound braggy, but I was good. See, that's, see, look, I just did it. I just downplayed my own, yeah, something I was good at. I literally just did it. Instead of just coming right out and saying, I was good. I was a good cheerleader. I was good at what I did. I tried to be like, uh, uh, not to sound good, but I, I was kind of good. I was good at it. And I, and now, uh, you know, that cheer documentary on Netflix, which is phenomenal, by the way, shows you what it was actually like. And everybody's, you know, applauding them. Oh my God, the strength, the, the capability, the I can't even imagine. And that was what we did. And I wouldn't let myself back then say I was strong or, or you know, active or whatever. And then I think three years ago, two years ago, I was a power lifter. I, I competed in a power lifting competition. And that is absolutely strength bench press and squatting and deadlifting weight more than all you know hundreds of pounds and i would not allow myself to say that i was strong because i saw stronger people forget the fact that i was lifting weight that was strong for my size no that wasn't good enough Because if I was lifting 185 pounds in a deadlift, that was nothing compared to the girl that was three times my size lifting 400 pounds. That's strength. I would not allow myself to, to be, to say that I was strong. I always felt this need to downplay because I was always comparing with other people. And I started thinking about like, if I ever have a daughter Would I want her to do the same thing? If I had a younger sister or sibling or whatever, would I allow them to also do what I've been doing? And it's it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. And I read a book years ago. Um, Tina Fey wrote a book called Bossy Pants, which if you haven't read it, it's hilarious. I think I read it in one day. And she had this quote, and I'm going to read it because I found it. And it was the epitome of that comparison that women face with, like, oh, I'm not ever going to be enough because if I'm enough, it will mean that I've had to have this, 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 and this. So uh, Tina Fey talks about the expectations for women when it comes to their physical um, appearance. And this is one of the funniest but also truest um you know, explanations of, of what we kind of deal with. So it says, quote, Now every girl is expected to have Caucasian blue eyes, full Spanish lips, a classic button nose, hairless Asian skin with a California tan, 
a Jamaican dance hall ass, long Swedish legs, Japanese small feet, the abs of a lesbian gym owner, the hips of a nine-year-old boy, the arms of Michelle Obama, and doll tits. The person closest to actually achieving this look is Kim Kardashian, who, as we know, was made by Russian scientists to sabotage our athletes. End quote. It's hilarious, but it's true. We are trying to put ourselves together to make this perfect human being specimen, and it's never going to happen. Ever. And we need to kind of get to this place of being like, I'm already good. And if you are there already, oh my god, I am so envious and proud of you. Like, amazing. I'm going to talk about the survey that I put out in just a minute, but I'm going to tell you that I had a lot of responses. A lot. Which, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for participating in that. The support is amazing. But I I had one uh, question that was, like, how do you feel about your body? And it was like, I love my body unconditionally, uh, or I like my body most of the time, but there are certain things I would change, and then um, I hate the way I look. Those were the options. And um, out of all of the responses that I got, one person said I love my body unconditionally. One. And that... Whoa, that was, that gutted me, but we'll get there. Um, so I think the, the, the one thing that I started thinking about, especially when I, when I reread Tina Fey's quote was, um, you know, we set ourselves up for failure. We set ourselves up to want to achieve this look that we're never going to get because nobody can have, you know, anything that's perfection and, when we start feeling badly about ourselves, especially about our bodies, it doesn't stop there. I think for me personally, at least, when I feel bad about the way I look physically, it starts manifesting itself in other parts of my life. Work, my relationships, um, just a- anything. I It starts to take a toll on me. And I think vice versa. If you're having a good day and you're feeling good about the way you, you look or the way you feel, that tends to, to kind of come out in a good way in other aspects of your life, at least me personally. But, um, you know, going into that, that Google survey that I put out um, and the responses that I received, again, thank you for, for participating in it. Um, but I want to kind of go over some of the results that were a little jarring to me. So um, a lot of people had said that uh, one of the questions was, which what choice resonates with you the most? So it was like, I have a commanding presence when I enter a room, and I love that about me. I like to fit into a crowd and be unnoticed. I feel like I'm too much, and I need to shrink myself. I'm shy, but I feel like I need to rise to the occasion. Um, a lot of people kind of was like, I just want to fit in, and I don't want to be noticed. Um, a small percentage said that they do feel like they're too much, or they need to shrink themselves. Um... And I, and I just wanted to get the idea of, like, how do we feel about ourselves when we're around others? And, you know, some people, I did give the option of, like, if none of these fit, go ahead and, and put in your own. And, and, you know, some of these responses were heartbreaking. One, uh, you know, some of them are also very empowering. Somebody had said, you know, I like to kind of be an observer at first. 
but then I end up kind of being that commanding presence. So it's almost like I need to warm up. And and some people had had written about how their anxiety is so bad that they don't they don't want to almost like rise to any occasion because they already feel like they're not enough when they enter a room without even meeting or interacting with anybody. So these are the internal like battles and monologues that we're having in our heads before we even make ourselves present. We walk into a room and we automatically like we're like a thermostat. We're like adjusting the temperature of ourselves to fit that room. Instead of being like, you know what, I'm just gonna be who I am and that's going to be enough. Before we even become us, we're we're shape shifting into someone else. Oh it's crazy. A lot of people said that um, how someone would describe you was outgoing and friendly, which is great. Um, I think that, you know, if you, if you do, if other people would describe you as outgoing and friendly, my only, my only question that I, that I would want to know from that is, is that how you feel, um, about yourself? There was a lot of shy and reserved, a lot of outgoing and friendly, um, and, and that was good because I think if you can, if you can identify your traits through another person's eyes, it almost is giving you insight into who you want to be to. Like, going back to the wedding video, um, a lot of the questions that were asked of people that were interviewed were to describe either me or Frank. And of course, they're saying such nice, nice things. And it's almost reassuring to hear it. So you're like, okay, if somebody else is seeing this quality in me, I maybe I should start believing it for myself. So that's what I was thinking uh, when it came to that. And, oh, man, how do you feel about your body? Majority of people said, I like the way I look for the most part, but I would change some things. And we all have that. That's a human thing. One person said, I love the way I look unconditionally. And a lot of people said, I hate the way I look. Hate. Oh, man. I, I almost think that I'm on the, on the, I'm maybe a little bit of all three. I love my body unconditionally. I want to change some things and I hate the way I look. It's almost like every day is different. And if it could be consistent, that would definitely be ideal. But I think we all struggle with this. And that's that comparison. Like you look at, you know, Instagram, which is like, oh, toxic when Especially as a girl, because, you know, you have people posting their bathing suit pictures, or models, or the Kardashians, or whomever, right? And they're, like, flawless. And you have to remember, like, that's not real. They don't really look like that. Nobody looks like that. Yeah, there's that photo surfacing of, of Khloe Kardashian and her, like, new face and head shape. And everyone's like, oh my god, goals, I wish. And I'm like, uh... How about, like, what happened? Is she alright? What, like, what did she have to do to get that? Um, and listen, I'm not knocking it. She looks great, but that's not, that's not makeup, people. You can't contour that. <laughs> I always say, like, I, when I have makeup on and I take it off, I want someone to still know that, like, that's me. Like, I should never run into someone and then not recognize me if I don't have any makeup on. But that's me. Listen, different strokes for different folks. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Anyway, um, another question that I asked was, do you exercise regularly? More than half 
of the um, people who responded said no. And listen, I'm not here to tell you to do anything at all. I have no one to give advice. But I will say, and I've said it before, I do something every single day, seven days a week. You know, again, some days are going for a walk. Some days are doing yoga. Some days are crazy, you know, um, hit workouts and, and, you know, crazy sweating. And it's a variety because otherwise I would be like in shambles. And I will tell you that moving my body every single day has fundamentally changed the way that I feel about myself. And maybe that doesn't work for you or maybe you can't, you know, commit to that right away. But I think it's something that you can maybe try to strive for, you know, stretching for 20 minutes or, you know, going for a walk around the block or whatever. I was counting on my, on my Apple watch the other day of, cause it like tracks your activity and I have exercised every day for like something like 75 days in a row and it makes a difference. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel healthy and you know, that's, that's, that's enough for me. That, that makes me feel like I am attending to my own life and present in my own life. Um, a lot of people wrote that they walk, but they don't feel like that's enough. Yes, it is. You're moving. You're moving. You don't, you know, there's no enough. You're good. You're already good. Um, and then I asked the question of, do you think that exercise is a way to make yourself strong and healthy or a punishment for what you ate or drank or both? Um, yeah, a lot of people think that working out is a punishment for what you ate or what you drank. And, oh, man, I, I get it. I get it. Because if I have a donut, I'm like, why did I do that? But I enjoyed that donut. So eat the donut and enjoy your life. You need to enjoy your life. You get one. But also make healthy choices and, and, and make yourself strong and feel strong. And yeah, eat a donut, but you should also maybe eat a vegetable. I don't know. I don't do anything anymore that is extreme. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I was very extreme with the way that I um, took care of my body. And I can't do that anymore. It's not sustainable. So yeah, I eat vegetables and salads and I drink a ton of water, but I also need to live my life. So again, I'm not an expert and I'm not telling you that I have all the answers because I'm just as messed up as, as the next person, but I'm trying to figure out how to love myself. And that's a one way that I know that I can love myself is not depriving myself of things that I love. Um... I asked the question of where did your ideas about body image come from, and my options were, like, your parents or your mom, media, peers, and friends, and I bring this up because I would like to tell you that I got my ideas from body image through the media. I think that that is definitely true, but I think I also got it from my mom because I watched this person be on a diet for as long as I can remember. I've watched this person count points and Weight Watchers and, you know, South Beach diet and the Atkins diet and the whatever and, and tr just always, you know, try always depriving herself or always 
being like, oh, I'm thin, I can't wear that, I'm fat, I'm, and, you know, you're planting seeds, and then I, I think, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but, like, I think that it, it, when you're an impressionable young girl, and you're seeing the person that you love unconditionally and you think is a superhero talking badly about herself, it makes you think, like, oh, well, should I be thinking about myself in this way, too? So, you know, thinking about the way that we we get our ideas about body image, where do they really come from? And I think now as an adult, it's definitely more about the media and it's more it's about, you know, comparing myself with people who I'm never going to look like. And there's no way that that could even happen. But still doing the comparison nonetheless. And then I asked, at what age did you start having negative thoughts about your appearance or your body image? Um, the ages range from 5 to over 35. And a lot of people said that between the ages of 5 and 10... They started having negative thoughts about the way they looked. And you're babies then. You are babies. So that made me really sad. And listen, I wasn't getting this, I wasn't getting this data to like then be an expert. I was really just curious to know what other people were dealing with. Like these are the things that I thought of for myself and I thought it was super important to understand other people's thought processes too. A lot of people did say between the ages of 11 and 15, too, and that makes sense to me because, and then ages 16 to 21 as well. That made a lot of sense to me because those are, that, that's that adolescence and, and already feeling weird about your body and now looking at it in a different way. Now, this was super important to me because I wanted to know why I felt like I couldn't ever measure up whether that was physically or, or always feeling like I was too much or I had to shrink myself. Why didn't I always feel, why didn't I ever feel like I could measure up the way that I wanted it to be? Um, and I had this thought about, well, because I've always been de- like doomed from the start, like destined to not measure up because, you know, the media or society or movies or TV or whatever have made it impossible for us to feel like we can measure up. I want you to think about this scenario that we've seen in, like, every single, like, you know, cliche teen drama movie. Think about it. The the outcast, shy girl, the nerdy girl with her glasses, and she is, you know, an outcast, and she's deemed unworthy of anybody's attention. And it's not until the end of the movie when she gets the makeover and she looks a certain way that she gets the guy or that people finally notice her in the hallway or whatever. Like, she, it's not until she looks a certain way that she's enough. And I don't think we ever realized as we're watching this movie or TV show or whatever that we were putting ourselves into certain boxes, too. When in reality, that girl in the movie was fine, probably. She was staying in her own lane. She wasn't an outcast. She was just living her life. But someone told her, no, that's not enough. You can't just be this. You need to make sure that you flat iron your hair and put on some eyeshadow. And it's like, oh, my God, that's that's part of this. That's part of the problem, that we 
can't ever feel like we're enough because we've seen what enough is in the media. And that's what we're like striving for, I guess. I don't know. It's insane. Her worth was questioned because she wasn't beautiful or she wasn't enough. And God, that's the poison that we drink when we look at ourselves in the mirror, our physical appearance. And, oh, no wonder we're always doubting ourselves. Now listen, I'm not blaming, you know, all of the movies or TV shows or whatever, but I am saying that, like, this is a bigger problem than just, you know, within ourselves. Um, and I think one of the things that is going to help me, at least, try to reverse some of the damage that's been done for, you know, over 20 years, is that, well, Jen Hatmaker talks in her book about, um, she had spoken to a friend who was trying to kind of explain to her how to love her body. And one thing that she said was to stop calling your body an it and start calling it a she, like giving it, you know, more of a a person feel so that you can when you start to think negative things about her, not it, her, you're, it's almost like you're talking to yourself or to a friend. And, you know, it made me think, like, if I were to put myself, if I were to make my body into a her, you know, it, it, it changes things. Because our bodies do so much for us. I'm not a mother, and I've never pushed a baby out of me. But think about that. As a mom, your body helped you do that. And, you know, our bodies do so much for us. Like, my body, she, my body, she, she helps me identify my favorite smells. And she makes me happy when I hear my favorite song. She knows how to make dinners for my family. She, you know, helps me know when there's there's something to be afraid of. She alerts me of things. She helps me get out of bed in the morning. She, you know, she, there's, there's so many things. Like, she hugs people and, and makes them feel loved. And she wipes tears away from, from herself and others. She writes, you know, in her journal of all the things that she's grateful for. And she has helped, ooh, getting emotional. My body has helped me become a teacher. Right? Like she wrote those papers with her fingers and her brain, and she, you know, she shows up every day now virtually, but every day at work, and she has the energy to help shape adolescent minds. Right? She comforted me when things were bad. And she celebrated when things were good. And my body loves me so much. And I rarely show her love. Our bodies love us, but we rarely love them back. We hate our bodies, but our bodies don't hate us. We hate our bodies, but other people don't hate our bodies. 
It's us. It's our own thing. And I've been so mean to my body. I've put her through things that she'll probably never forgive me for. I've told her time and time again that there's something wrong with her. I've measured her with standards that she's never going to meet. Ever. I've said, you need to be this. And I'm going to punish you until you are. I've compared her to people that she's never going to be. Ever. I remember... um, trying to lose weight and I lost maybe like four or five pounds and I went to the doctor for like a wellness visit and I weighed myself or you know I step on the scale and you know the nurse writes down the number and my doctor says to me you lost five pounds and I said yeah and she said why are you are you trying to lose weight like why are you trying to lose weight and I mean (laughs) It was the one time I thought my doctor was stupid. I wanted to be like, what do you mean? Why am I trying to lose weight? Of course I'm trying to lose weight. I've been trying to lose weight. You know, who isn't trying to lose weight? And, you know, like, like I said, I've been seeing my mom on a diet for like my whole life. And it's exhausting. And, you know, of course I'm trying to lose weight. You know, and because I think about it, now really thinking about it. I've seen my mom call, look at a picture of herself and call herself fat in that picture where she does not look fat. And I'm thinking of myself like, well, that's her like threshold or her benchmark for what fat is. Like I need to be looking at a picture of myself and deciding that's what fat is. And you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And now I'm not saying that because I just talked about working out every single day. That's not punishment to me. And that's not me trying to lose weight. That's me helping move my body to help my, my mental, you know, health. And to feel like I am active and strong. Not a punishment. There, there's a difference there. I've put my body through things that she did not deserve. And, and that's, this is what I mean by that. I've unnecessarily put my body through things. I used to go to a gym that would do these challenges. They would do weight loss challenges every month. And they ranged from like lose 20 pounds or 10 pounds or whatever. And then there's like a body fat challenge. I had signed up to do a body fat challenge where I lost 3% of my body fat. And I remember the owner of that gym telling me that I was a good candidate for that. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? And then deciding, well, yeah, I am a good candidate. I need to lose inches and I need to lose this many, you know, this percentage of my body fat and I need to look a certain way. And I remember taking a before and after picture and getting so much praise from that after picture you look phenomenal, oh my god, you look great, so beautiful, and blah, blah, blah. So, automatically looking at that before picture and saying, oh yeah, no, that wasn't enough, and that's disgusting, and 
this after picture is what you need to attain. But let me tell you right now, it was not sustainable. What I did to get that 3% body fat loss, whatever, was eat the most disgusting assortment of foods. Plain chicken. Plain everything. Um, just miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And I did like two of these challenges. And if you ask anybody that was around me for those, each of those six week challenges, I was an absolute monster. Imagine eating food with absolutely no flavor to it and oatmeal that you pretty much had to like cut with a knife because it was so disgusting and bland and you know yeah I'm all about like food is fuel for your body and you should always eat food that make you feel good and are healthy this was not that this was an, a, a thing that could never be sustainable to the point where I would cry when I would have to eat a meal cry and I would go to sleep early so that I didn't have to eat another meal and it makes me think about even when I wasn't doing the challenges, I would skip meals all the time. I, I've said it before that I'm really bad at eating three meals a day because I've, I've gotten used to not eating until I'm starving. And I don't, you know, I'm not somebody who is depriving myself and only eating like three crackers a day, but I'm definitely all, you know, also not giving myself enough throughout the day. Or I'm like, I don't eat until, you know, lunch, and then I'm eating a huge lunch and a huge dinner. So it's definitely still a process. There are times where I would have, and you know, even now, have a cup of coffee instead of eating lunch. And just depriving myself of, of food and eliminating food that makes me happy. Instead of figuring out, figuring out balance. So I've put my body through a lot. And I know that there are people who have, who have more intense experiences than what I've just described. And I'm not saying that mine are more important or anything of that nature. But I am saying that we do this to, to our bodies who do nothing but care for us. And maybe we need to think about it that way. I... I've said it before where I can't berate myself into the best version of myself. I can't say horrible things about myself or treat myself in a certain way and expect that to be the thing that sticks and causes me to change anything, especially my mindset about the way that I look. So I think that it's worth it for me and maybe you to think about yourself as being already good. You're already good the way that you are. I'm already good the way that I am. This body is mine. And, you know, it loves me, or she loves me, and I've got to I've gotta figure out how to treat her the way that I would hope that she would want to be treated. There, there needs to be less of, if only I had this, then I'd be happy. If only I lost eight pounds, then I'd be happy. If only my, my stomach didn't, didn't bloat out a little bit, 
than I'd be. I, I've been telling to anybody who would listen probably for the last 15 years, I just wish my stomach wasn't so bloated. I have the, it's my posture. I have a, like a curved spine, which makes my stomach come out a little bit and it's not flat. But I'm not fat, but I don't, that, that little bit of a bloated stomach would, is the, the make it or break it for me. And I need to stop having that. If only this, then I'd be happy. If only I had, or if only I took away. And I think just, we love other people so easily. And other people love us and love our bodies and love our minds and tell us that we're beautiful and, you know, all of those things. And I think we need to start believing it because, yeah, somebody else loving you and loving the way you look and loving everything about you is the cherry on top. But the whole, you know, ice cream sundae, so to speak, needs to be the love that we have for ourselves. That is what we want. That is what we need. The extra stuff is, is just extra. You, you know, other people's opinions of the way that you look in a good way are great. But we need to be the foundation first. And I'm saying this with just as much work to do as maybe you are listening to it. So, that was a lot, but I think that it was almost therapeutic, and I think the idea of being already good is something that needs to be like a daily mantra. If you're already good. Look at all the things that you've done, all of the things that you've accomplished. You did that. Give yourself credit where credit is due and tell yourself that you're already good. So yeah, that's what I've got. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope that, you know, the world is getting a little bit crazy right now. And I think you can kind of pick up what I'm putting down there. So if you can be the light to anyone, but especially yourself, I think that will be in good shape. All right. I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing this podcast with friends and family. The support is just, it always